so uh, we are currently in a, a sermon series, and like Katie said, in the summer, <coughs> excuse me, uh, coming up uh, a couple weeks into July, uh, we are starting a different series where we're going to go topical, just showing the resource that is right now media, leading up to um, the fall where we are going to have community groups and asking you guys to sign up. And I hopefully we're learning that in this season, how important it is, A, to be in community, because a lot of that was taken away, but also uh, to grow. And uh, Sunday morning really isn't a place where you're going to get very deep. Like the, uh, uh, my messages and stuff, they're not, not going to touch really, really deep theological questions. But if you wanted to continue to grow, uh, you do that. And kind of the moniker is to gather to grow. And, and so um, you'll be seeing them, we'll be talking about it, and we'll be leading up to the ability to sign up and get involved in community groups around you. So be ready for that. Be ready to sign up and get involved that way. That is coming. So we are actually finishing the James portion of our sermon series, and there's only a couple more. I'm going to do it maybe, maybe one or two in Titus as well. But the focus is faith that works, a practical application of faith and how we apply our faith. Uh, again, uh, both James and Titus kind of focus on the same thing, and that's how we respond to life. Now, life isn't good. There's brokenness in life, and we will encounter not good things. Or some people would put it, we will encounter storms, and that's part of reality. But how we actually navigate those storms is actually the measure of our faith. It, it shows the solidity of our foundation, that what we actually believe is put to the test. It is the walk-the-walk walk part of that expression. And, and not everything is good, but God is working his good in every situation. And so I have a core value, and it's a biblical value. I say it's mine, but it should be ours, that God created us and actually designed us to thrive in life, in every situation. Even when things are really bad, we can actually navigate and thrive those situations differently than someone who is not saved, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who doesn't have God. That we were actually designed to do this, that our thriving condition actually points to our salvation. When people say, hey, why are you different? Why are you doing this differently? Why are you dealing with this differently? Why are you responding differently? We can say it's because of Christ in me. That This is the hope of glory we're talking about. It, it plays out in how we live. And now in James 5, we see kind of this closing statement from James, kind of like a, a moment of like, like, kind of like him saying, if I could leave you with something, and, and I, I uh, um, haven't really been involved in a lot of people passing away or, or dying, but I, or, or even really leaving for that matter. I haven't really experienced a lot of life. But uh, I know that when someone wants to kind of tell you something, right, kind of these are my last words, or, or before I leave you, I, I want to leave you with something, they're actually pretty important. They're, they're pointed. And so it feels like this is like James saying, you know, if I could just leave you with a little something. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to start in James 5. And I'm actually reading out of the New American Standard Bible this morning. And it says this, Therefore be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord. So we're going to pause there for a second. Now, that word patient has its root in the word to persevere, to not lose heart. And some of your versions will say, do not lose heart. It's to, to, to make steadfast. Now, if you look at verse 8, it says to strengthen your heart, or some version says establish uh, your heart. And, and this is actually an action word, that we actually set our course. We choose our response. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel like that, right? Sometimes it kind of feels like the response is just a reaction. And it's true. It, 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 in some instances, it really is just a reaction. But the reactions that we actually experience come out of our foundation. They come out of us. 
And then, you know, we can actually hide a lot until we're put to the test. And then it kind of comes out. Right? Have you ever had those moments? As, as I, it's actually Father's Day today. And, and as a parent, I, I know those moments where you're like, I'm going to be calm, cool, and collective. And then all of a sudden, you know, your kids just know what to say. They know you. And they say it. And oh, things come out. Right? The actual understanding of this, uh, um, like it, the readers would look at this word that used for, for strengthen your heart or establish your heart. And, and it's almost like kind of, uh, I, I'm Italian, so I, I get this metaphor, maybe you guys don't, but it's kind of like having concrete set. Now, now concrete, setting concrete is a process and it's different depending where you are. I have uh, built foundations in Costa Rica and I've built foundations in Coquitlam and, and, and they're two very different places. But the process is the same. You build the forms and the forms probably take the most amount of work and you mix your concrete and you have a setting agent and you, you pour it and you, you let it. And then when it sets, it, it hardens. Right? Or, or I'm a big Forged in Fire fan. Has anyone watched that show? You know, I always, I'm the type of person who says, how hard can it be and I want to do things? And making knives looks really fun, but it looks like it could really hurt myself. And, and, and there's a process in the forging where you come to harden your blade. You, you, you actually heat up the metal to soften it, but also you heat up the metal to a certain temperature. Once it reaches that temperature, you cool it down quickly. And they put it in the oil. And as it cools down, it, it, it activates the carbons and it freezes them. And then it hardens the blade. And so that strength in your heart kind of has that, that hardening aspect. And really why I'm talking about it is this is the, the poor process. Here James is, is talking about how in life your foundation needs to be hardened. There needs to be a setting, a preparing, where regardless of what, you, what you're going to encounter, you're going to be set on something. Uh, 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 kind of a men's breakfast, we're talking about it quickly, uh, um, how the, the parable that uh, um, you, you, you build your house on stone or on sand, that when the storm comes, the house built on stone doesn't wash away. It's that, that building that belief. And now James, uh, um, the perspective here begins at the beginning of James. Now James 1, if you remember, kind of starts with the idea of when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy because they help you grow. They, they produce uh, endurance, and God uses that for our good. That is like the setting. That is the preparing and, and pouring the concrete. Now, the key to really understanding this, and the key to really understanding this principle, is how James talks about it. Because, and I don't have this up there, but verse 13, he says, God doesn't test, God doesn't cause. And sometimes we have this assumption that because it says consider pure joy or, 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 or consider it joy, that God actually causes harm in your life in order to teach you. He uses it to test you. God isn't doing that. It's important to understand what God does do and what our enemy does and, and understanding it. God doesn't do that, but he works it for our good. And then he says in verse 16, uh, so don't be misled. And I have this up here, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us, from a God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, become came his prized possession. Now, this to me is the hardening agent, that, God, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is what sets the concrete. This is the moment that the blade hits the critical temperature and gets dipped in the, uh, gets dipped in the cooling agent, the water or the oil. It's that moment, understanding that every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
in the middle of any storm, God is working good. The question is, where is it? Now, uh, um, I have this beautiful gift of being able to go fishing with people and then bad weather hits. It's like David Suzuki, is that the nature guy? Loves it when I go salmon fishing because the salmon are usually safe. And, and, and generally what happens is we go out and then the waves come up and, and then I actually had the opportunity of being on a, on a sailboat actually fishing off a sailboat, which was a great experience. And then the winds kicked up and the, the motor went out and we actually had to navigate uh, um, just by using wind to get back. And someone who has experienced sailing knows that you, you understand where the wind's coming from and you point your boat kind of in the opposite direction. You, you, you don't go against the waves, you go with the waves. And, and when you know what you're doing, you know how to navigate. God is working for our good. And if we look at it, this is how we're able to navigate storms differently. This is how we get to, to kind of really harden what we really believe about God and ourselves. If, do, we, do we actually believe that God works for our good? Or are we believing that God is causing us harm? Right? And we don't maybe say it out loud, but our response really does actually dictate what we truly believe. Because uh, what, how are we responding? God, why are you doing this to me? Is it God that's doing this to you? No. Life is broken. Sin is not God. God didn't cause sin. We did. We chose it. James earlier explains that a lot of what happens is the, the evil desires that rise up within us. It's just brokenness is the world we live in. And as we live in a broken world, we experience broken things. And it's important to give credit to where credit's due. And, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. And we know that and look for that. That's when we begin to experience that. Kind of understand it? But then we also need to understand that where brokenness comes from. And, and, and acknowledge it. Like brokenness comes from our enemy who hates us. Brokenness comes from fallen. Brokenness comes from a broken world. And that's kind of what it is. Now, James, in chapter 5, uses a farming analogy. I think it's really cool. I, I'm not a very good farmer, but I understand something. The farmers don't kind of sit around waiting for the rain to come. Like, I've never seen a, a farmer take a break. Have, have you? Or someone who gardens or farms, it's kind of a constant thing. They prepare for it, right? They till the land. They get ready for when the rains come. They get ready for harvest. It's, it's a constant preparing because preparing for uh, equals, you know, good yields, right? And if you're not preparing, it's, you're not going to get it. Maybe by fluke, but most likely you're not going to get it. It's just like bringing home a baby, right? When you, if you have the memory of actually bringing home a child, um, you don't just kind of like, oh, baby's here, I guess I better get ready for it, right? No, you, you kind of prep, right? You have to go through the freakout stage or else you're going to freak out with the baby, right? You go through the, the, the building the nursery, the painting the room, the nesting, all that stuff. You prepare for what's coming, now, good comes from God. So the question is, how are we preparing for it? How are we positioning ourselves to receive what God is giving us? Are we looking for it? Are we aware of it so we don't miss it? Um, my daughter Hope loves watching the stars. And so we've got an opportunity to see some uh, uh, um, um, celestial events, which is really, really cool. And, and actually someone lent us a telescope and since lending it to us, I don't think we've had a clear night yet. So thanks for that, Jinx. But anyways, um, and I just remember kind of knowing that the, the, we had a meteor shower like about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago. And we were sitting down, looking up in the sky and it was really early in the morning. It was like three or four in the morning because that's when it's best to look at it, you know, between moon setting and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and if you don't know where to look, you're going to miss it. The sky is actually really big, right? And if you're looking in the wrong direction, you're going to miss the event. We need to be looking for God's goodness. We need to turn our radar on. 
okay, this isn't good, but God, you are good. So how are you working in this? Where are you in this? This is setting our heart. This is strengthening our heart. Now, if you look at James 5, verses 13 to 18, we're going to continue here. Is anyone among you suffering? Then you must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. As if he has committed, uh, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven of him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. A prayer of the righteous person, when it when it brought about, can accomplish much. Now Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So let's pause there. Now, um, if we look at it, there's some key words. Now, in verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. Now, again, I'm reading from the NASB, which is a particular version. If you're reading it, the New Living Translation, which is the version I like, it would say the word heal. If you're using the English Standard Version or ESV, it would say uh, um, save. And, and that's because it's, it's actually a really fun Greek word. And it's the word uh, uh, sozo, which actually means all three of those things at the same time. It means saved healed, and delivered. How can a word mean three things? That's because restoration, healing, deliverance, salvation, it's all wholeness. It's, it's, it's whole. It's one thing. And, and, and the work of God is to make us whole. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the same word. He came to make it whole. And, and I love the word uh, restored, and that's why I'm using the uh, New American Standard Version, because it really paints a picture that, again, we were created and designed for a purpose. We really were. We were created and designed with purpose and a plan and, and a vision. We were created in the image of God, and that's perfect, and that's beautiful. And life kind of tarnishes that. You kind of go through life, and, and, and we, maybe we can even think of incidences that kind of, I don't know, put a dent in that picture, that put a dent in that um, and armor. I remember one of my first new cars ever was a, a, a blue Honda Civic Si. I loved that car with, with a brown interior. It was my baby. Uh, um, it was my favorite car. And then we had kids and I had to give it away. And it's still a sore spot, actually. But anyways, and I, I can remember the moment that I was driving on the highway and the rock chip, I heard it, hit my car. And it was like the day two, washed it twice already. And my heart sank. You know, that moment. And in life, we have those things. You know, we, and, and maybe a parent says something wrong or someone says something to you or something happens to you or we just, we just experience the brokenness of this world. And we just, we're just broken. We're just rusty. We've been exposed to the elements and we don't look like how we're designed. And yet this is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes to restore us. Now that word sick that James uses in this is actually he chose to use the active tense of this word. And why? Because it's a constant thing. That even just as healing is whole, so can be our sickness. And sometimes, what am I trying to say here? I think we can limit 
God's healing to just physical. And he does heal our body. I believe that God heals physical, physically today. But I think we can also acknowledge that we can be broken. And we need that healing and restoration power continuously. Because even if we get restored, the dent gets knocked out, we get a fresh coat of paint, beautiful primer, all that kind of stuff, we can still drive out the next day and get dinged again. And, and it's this constant, constant recognition that God restores, that as I am aligned with God, God restores me. It's an awareness that daily I need to be restored. It is kind of like a resetting of the foundation. If we get to use an analogy again, one of the homes my dad renovated, uh, he, he bought and renovated to rent it. Uh, uh, it the, the foundation sunk in the home. And so what you do is you go under and you lift it and you restore underneath it, right? And sometimes our foundations need maintenance. They need restoration. There needs to be awareness that yes, this world is broken, but yes, our God restores. And the solution is Jesus. And it sounds so corny, but there is no shortcut. It is literally the gospel that we were once lost, but now we're found. That we were broken, but we were made whole. It is literally the communion message that by his brokenness, by the brokenness and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we are saved. And through his resurrection and bloodshed, we are covered in his grace. I, I love how James paints this. If you begin to read it in the uh, original language, uh, um, we like to take things quite literally, like it's written in English, but it's, it's not, right? It's actually written in a language to a people. And it's this beautiful picture of wholeness, uh, of recognizing that we're broken and being restored and grace being given where, where sin has broken us and just this wholeness that, that we are saved physically, we are saved spiritually, and we're saved mentally. We're made whole through Jesus Christ. And, and there's no real shortcut to wholeness. It's just Jesus. It's, it's just the gospel. Now, in verse 17, again, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So again, James is pointing out that he's just a person. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, um, it's fun because, again, I, I kind of like language. I like it. I'm, I, I'm, I like know enough to be like a lot of trouble. You know that? You know, when you know just enough to like really break things. Like it's, it's complex. It's big. And there's people way, way smarter than me. But if you, if you look at, at the word earnestly and prayed, they're actually two words for pray. It's literally saying pray, pray. Now, it's specific. So pray uh, is generally just, you know, pray. <laughs> I'm not sure why I did this, but you, you know what I mean. And now that word earnestly means to pray, but differently. It actually uh, uh, points to uh, uh, um, uh, being set apart. And, and it's the idea of when they weren't able to get to a synagogue, they would set apart a place and create a synagogue so that they could be in the presence of God to pray. And what it, it, it signified, now the readers who are listening to this are predominantly uh, Jewish believers. So when they heard this word, they would understand it, that this isn't just the prayer you do when you go to the temple. It's the prayer you do because you are desperate and you need God. It's the prayer you do outside of your regular prayers. It's earnestly praying. It's this picture of keep praying. It's showing that here, Elijah, who is just like us, 
has the same access to God, recognized that for what he needed, he needed to pray. And not just pray, but to pray. Is that kind of making sense? Uh, uh, how do you put it? It's pray, pray until you see and experience the goodness of God. Pray to experience the goodness of God. We pray to be restored, to be made whole. We pray to find purpose. We pray to find wholeness. And, and this takes prayer. Prayer is more than uh, an act on Sunday or a religious ceremony. The very source of our restoration, the very source of our wholeness, we just got to find a way to pray. I have spent a lot of years trying to think of a shortcut because I don't pray like my mother prayed. Now, my mother prayed. And the Italian women, they prayed. And they prayed loud. And they prayed long. And they prayed fierce. They prayed for me when I walked away from the Lord. I would come home from school and they'd be there praying for me. And I knew what they were doing. They prayed for me when I was in Bible college. They prayed for me when I was out of Bible college. They prayed for me when I got fired. They prayed for me when I worked at the bank. They prayed and they prayed. And I look at that. I'm like, I can't pray like them. So maybe there's an easier way. And you try to live life. And I'm a good reader and I read. And I love reading books and I read the Bible. But guys, there's just no shortcut to praying. And you don't have to pray like they pray. You don't have to pray like everyone else prays. But you got to figure it out. We got to pray. We got to ask. We've got to speak. We need to have this connection with God. And how do you practically explain it? There's no formula. You just need to do it. It's communication. It's like every morning I, I, I work in pictures. Now, it's funny because I don't learn in pictures. Like if someone drew pictures on the board, like I, I, I get lost. I get really, really distracted. I think A, B, C, D, E. And so when I wake up in the morning, the process I take, even though it seems like it's, it's regimented, it's not, but it, it's this understanding that every time I wake up, I am out of alignment. As nighttime goes through, I am out of alignment, and spiritually, physically too, actually, I got to work on that, but, 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 but spiritually and mentally, I am out of alignment with God. And I need to spend that time with Him to reestablish alignment. Literally, the words I do in the beginning of my devotions is, is, God, I need you, and I need your direction. Help me see your goodness. And whatever the words is, it's recognizing that as I start this day, God, I need you. Now, whatever that looks like for you, it's an acknowledgement that, that I need to be in, in right alignment with you before I can even get going. God, show me your goodness. Make me aware of it as I walk through. I have to pray. If I'm going through something, I, I don't stop asking, even if I haven't received it. I've got some physical things I'm still praying for. But you know what? The solution is God alone. So God, I need you here. This isn't done yet. Right? And I pray, and I just keep praying. And I keep praying because there is no shortcut. Now, I, am also, uh, uh, I also pray in my heavenly language. Uh, and if you do that, it's so important. That's why Paul says it edifies yourself. Because you don't know what's coming up, and you don't know what you're going through. Sometimes you don't even know what to pray for. And the Holy Spirit knows, and he prays. And throughout my day, I am just aware that there is more to this life than just me. And there's more to what I'm experiencing than what I see right in front of me. I just need to pray. That God, where are you in this? 
as I'm talking to someone and, and they're yelling at me, God, where are you in this? You know, as I'm in the grocery store and I watch the person back up the arrow because they missed the line and they didn't walk around. You know, God, where are you? I need your peace because anger, you know, it's this constant awareness that I am battling the brokenness, but I'm restored and made whole and, and that it's made wholeness needs to be in line with God. Does that kind of make sense? Like there just is no shortcut. We need to pray. Not only do we need to pray, we need to get prayed for because there's people who have gone ahead of us. And that's why James is saying, go to the elders. Now, elders is a funny word. It doesn't mean just mean old people. It just means the mature, really. If we want to break it down easy. Now, in the church, there was a structure and, and they had designated leaders, but there was a lot of them, a lot more than people think, right? And, and, and really, if you're a mature believer, you are brought into leadership. And, and if you didn't qualify for leadership, they're saying, what are you doing? You're a mature leader, get up there. That's really the structure of the early church. And it's like, people have gone before us. We need them to pray for us. I need my parents praying for me. I need James Hansen. I, I need people to, to lay hands on me and pray for me because they've gone before. Even if I'm good, I need more prayer. And so if there's anything to take out of this morning, it's this. We got to pray and we need to get prayed for. And there really is no shortcut, right? This world, that isn't good. It's broken. And in this world, there's an enemy who just constantly wants you to experience brokenness. But every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, if we don't have a habit of established prayer, then what begins to happen is God's goodness begins to feel like a reflex. It begins to feel like a response. Something bad happened, God, I need your goodness. Something bad happened, God, I need your goodness. But I mean, let's change the perspective. And that when we pray, we're experiencing the goodness of God even before we encounter the storm. Does that kind of make sense? We set our foundation before we build the house, right? We don't like pour the concrete and then start building right on it. That would be pretty dumb, right? right? We don't, you know, hammer out a knife and then use it without hardening. We don't, we don't do that, right? And it's the same thing when we pray. We lay the foundation out for our day. We, we lay the foundation of God's goodness. So by the time that I actually experience the day, I'm experiencing it from, uh, um, what's the opposite of deficit? From a Opposite of deficit of God's goodness. A surplus, thank you, of God's goodness. A surplus of his love. A surplus of his grace. A surplus of his peace. A surplus of his patience. Right? And if we start seeing that picture, if we begin to apply kind of the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things, they come from God. And so when we pray and we actually do that, then we have a surplus of the thing we need. Then when someone is draining our patience, where before I only had a quarter tank, I have like more than a full tank. So by the time I'm done with them, I'm not down from a quarter tank. And now I've already experienced the goodness of God, not in response to what I'm enduring. But I'm kind of getting it? I'm kind of rambling. So this morning, I want to pray. And, and there's kind of three kind of groups I want to pray for. Probably more, but three is a good number. It's actually my number in soccer, so I use it a lot. So first of all, if you have any prayer requests, like just contact us. Now, if you're watching online, the contact information is down below. If you're here, um, I guess you could use that contact information as well, but just tell me. <laughs> Katie's around too. Talk to us. Uh, and there's people here who love to pray. But if you have never made a decision to believe in Jesus, then, then that's the first part because it's only Jesus 
who can restore. And maybe we're looking at our life and we're like a beaten down old truck. And we need that. We just don't run like we used to. We need that restoration. That restoration is found in Jesus. So this morning, I want to invite you. The Bible says that if we believe in him, then we're saved. And it's really simple. And so I'm going to pray and ask that you repeat after me type of a thing. And, and, and part of the promise is that when we believe in Jesus, that we're then filled with his spirit. And we refer to that as the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit kind of does the work of the restoration. Points out the areas that are causing the anger, causing this, causing that. Begins to root them out so that we can be restored. A second one. Maybe you're hearing this and you recognize, man, I need restoration. You know, not all of us are in the same state of disrepair. Maybe you just got a rock chip and you're fine and you just need a little bit. Maybe like you've just been left in a barn for 20 years and now you're just all rusty. It's all different and, and God restores all. Some of us are in a longer process. Can I ask you not to lose heart? Don't be discouraged, but just keep praying. And I want to keep praying for you as well. Uh, and the third group, maybe you're hearing this, you're like, man, I am good. I believe all of this. And we just want more because you can never have enough, right? You can never have enough. So join me as we pray. Again, first of all, if you've never chosen to uh, believe in Jesus before, I invite you to say this with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I ask you to, to, to fill my life with your, with your spirit. I lay it down to you. You know the areas that are broken and I need your restoration. Amen. Welcome to the family. It's that easy. Now for the second group, if this is you, just, you know, even just position yourself to receive. Holy Spirit, I need your restoration power. I have been broken or I am broken for a long time. And I need your healing. I need your healing. Even um, as, you're, as I'm saying this, just begin to picture the areas where you actually need God's healing. Just begin to ask him. Just God heal, heal my heart. Help me to forgive. Heal my body. Heal the, the physical pain. Heal my spirit that's lost hope. Heal me, Lord. I need your restoration. For some of us, it's going to be a really quick process of just healing. And thank you, Jesus, for that. And for some of us, it's probably going to be a longer process, but God is still good. So we pray that, God, you would give us eyes to see your goodness. Holy Spirit, kind of like a compass, set our attention on what God is doing. God, where you're going, because we, we, we want to be in line with you. I pray for our habits, that, that Holy Spirit, not only would you teach us to pray, but you would like be that annoying reminder on our phone that goes off saying, you need to be realigned. You need to be filled. Now we pray for the rest of us. Oh God, more of you. We want to grow in the knowledge of more. We want to experience more of your signs, 
wonders and miracle. We want to see salvation, Holy Spirit. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to, how to speak your truth to the people around us. Give us eyes to see the needs around us, Father. And, and, and Holy Spirit, let us respond by your power that when we pray and when we ask that we would see and experience, God, your goodness in other people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As you go this morning, go in the knowledge of a God who restores us. He makes us new. And uh, enjoy your day. Enjoy your day with your dads if, that, if you have the opportunity to do that. Blessing.